strategy, design, marketing, UX, digital, development. This is Agencies That Build. This show is dedicated to leaders and teams that design and deploy in the digital world. My name is Jesse, and I'm a marketer and an agency owner. And I'm Varun. I'm not a marketer, but a coder and an agency partner. This show is sponsored by Together We Ship. On a mission to help agencies grow. All right, rock on. Here we are, Varun, my friend. How are you? You've got the world behind you. I know, finally. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, isn't that a globe? It is a like globe. The- it's a globe. It's a talking globe. Yeah, I just got for my kids. Uh, you know, it's 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 interesting because it has a pen and you can actually point on the map anywhere and it talks about that country and some interesting facts about it. So it's very interactive. Um, so yeah, it's way better than the like spin the globe, point to a spot, go look it up in the Encyclopedia Britannica of the olden days, <laughs> exactly. find a location. Taking this so. next level. So great. Mm-hmm. Who do we have today? Like, who is today. our guest? Tell us about it. Today, I, I know we're both excited for this conversation. We've been looking forward to it. I mean, we look forward to all of them, but uh, this fella in particular. So to this is a pretty epic introduction. Are we ready? To build anything, you need innovation for the future and experience from the past. Today, we have someone who has been using both to a great effect at his company launch, which is at the forefront of building helping businesses achieve their goals through cutting edge technology and design. Apart from being a great leader, he volunteers in the advisory board for Atlanta Community Food Bank's Hunger Walk Committee and co-hosts the webcast Speed Bumps Live. Welcome to the program, founder and CXO of Launch, a digital and creative services agency, Javier Santana. Thank Javier. you. That was so nicely done. I appreciate I'm it. Not my best work, but you, you were it, it, it pretty epic. You- it makes me sound a little bit bigger than I am, but thank you. <laughs> All right. So here's my icebreaker question before we get into the myth. How many cups of coffee do both of you have this morning? Varun goes first. Any. Yeah, Varun goes no. first. Are I you drinking caffeine stopped, right now? I stopped coffee since COVID when I lost the uh, taste and smell. So I can't enjoy coffee anymore. So it's been almost oh, three years that I have no coffee. Do you do tea? Coffee. No. No caffeine? No, well, no, not not from coffee and uh, and tea. Beverage, yeah. Interesting. Um, you're making me depressed. Oh, I started coffee <laughs> in COVID and became obsessed. I have one cup a day, and I make sure it's the most delicious cup I can make work. You know, I have a subscription. I get fancy yeah. ones sent to the house. It is like worked into my budget. Like we don't mess around over here. Yeah, yeah. As as you should. Yeah. So I'm. You know, my thing is that I wake up really early. My routine starts at about five a.m. And normally I probably have one or two uh, cups of espresso. Normally I'd use the Nespresso machine, right? Mm -hmm. Then I go work out. Then I come back. Then one Gendris, I have another cup of coffee, possibly another espresso. Mm -hmm. Then I get to the office. I pour myself another espresso. And right now I'm actually on a double, double espresso. So normally throughout the day, I mean, it's ridiculous. I should probably be dead at this moment, (laughs) but I, but I probably do about a good, you know, without exaggeration, eight cups. And that includes the one that I have after dinner, regardless of what time I eat dinner. Okay, wow. so I can't have caffeine after like 1 p.m. Yeah, uh, yeah. Doesn't even the sleep. I I don't know how you sleep with with. I some sleep. I sleep, sleep just fine. Yeah, I sleep just fine. You know, if it is it a, is it from a like what kind do you like? 
I don't know if um, that's like the real question. Yeah, I mean arabica. Like I, I typically mm -hmm. like the uh, the real bitter coffees. I don't like those that are like a uh, like. If you take me to one of those fancy coffee shops, I'm probably mm -hmm. just want to walk right back outside. I want the stuff that tastes like like it's burnt, toasted, and and just like rich traditional, you know, coffee beans, Colombian coffee beans, mm -hmm. Arabic coffee beans. Like that is what I love. Everything else to me tastes like vinegar. Interesting. And it's, a re it's a really weird thing. Yeah, it's like as I, I, as I sip my coffee. Do it. I had mine already. We've done, we've done, we've learned that like, we don't like the super acidic stuff or I don't mm -hmm. like the super acidic Same. stuff and he goes along. I like um, Ethiopian in particular. I like is Ethiopian it, coffee. Yeah. And like, uh, is it washed processed? I like it when it's, I don't remember. I don't know if it's washed or not washed. It's one, I, you would think I would remember all it, yeah. look it up and report back, but it's been, a, it's been an interesting learning journey of the world of coffee. I've enjoyed it. Every it is, it is really interesting. And I'm, I'm, I'll call myself a wine connoisseur, not a wino, but I've been in business. I used to be in the hospitality business for a long time. And I feel mm -hmm. like I've the same way that I drink my coffee is the same way that I drink my wine. The super high acid kind of like that has that really rich, uh, almost like citrusy. I can't do in the wine world. And uh -huh. it's the same exact thing with coffee. So it's kind of bizarre, but yeah interesting oh this could be a whole nother episode so because i could once we start talking about food it's over for me like That's i could it. just keep going forever <laughs> all right so let's move into our myth busting question what sort of bogus myth uh our strategy or misconception do you want to set the record straight on what do you got so it's an interesting one right because i've been in this business for a long time and this is my third run as an entrepreneur with an agency um the only one that has succeeded and uh the myth is that if you build it they will come um, you have a lot of folks that are extremely talented, whether you're creative, whether you're just an extremely talented salesperson, whatever that may be. The moment that you decided to start your agency, you said, I'm going to open the doors, the floodgates are going to open, we're going to make a shit ton of money, and it's going to be incredible. And that is just not the case. I think that it, you know, we can go deep into what it really takes, but what it really takes is a lot of grit, a lot of hard work, um, a lot of, uh, you know, just uh, ability to fail, fail fast and, and accept failure um, and learn those lessons and keep going. But it's uh, it's just a big myth. You hear people talk about it all the time. And I have creatives that are friends that have called me six months after they started their agency. And they'll tell me, dude, I can't get a lick of business in the door. What am I doing wrong? Like you're doing focusing on the wrong things, right? You have this beautiful portfolio and you think people are going to look at that and it's sexy and I want to work with you. And that's not really what sells. So that's, that's the biggest one. And we could talk about that one for 30 minutes. I won't do that, but, uh, but it's a very, it's a mistake that I made very early on in my career. Well, now you're going to have to give away a nugget of like, what does sell like flip that script. And I, I you yeah. know, we've, you have a really interesting, you know, journey to get to the point of even having this conversation of us. So I want to go back and talk a little bit about that, but it, like what worked? What is it? What is the like it's, for you anyways? There, there's there's no real magic sauce to it. The reality is, is that um, you have to really be a good client partner. I don't care what you're working with. You could be working with a $200 project doing a simple over. You just have to be someone who is willing to listen uh, to make sure that they're providing the proper guidance for that customer, that client, uh, making sure that you're you're just basically doing your best work and just always giving it your all. Um, and those clients will become your biggest sales folks. Um, for the first eight years of launch, eight, nine years of launch, we never had external sales. Never. It was 100% referral with the exception of every once in a while, we get somebody knocking on our door that heard of us or that they saw some work that we did, but it was all referral business. And I'll even tell you that some of our initial clients 
Um, I'll give the example of Salesforce. You know, we did our first project with Salesforce nine years ago, right? And the very first person that we interacted with, which is now someone I consider a friend, Bill Reed, um, he basically was such an excellent partner. We worked, you know, well together. We had incredible chemistry that turned into more work and so on and so on. And before you know it, we were doing 25 projects for Salesforce per year with a small team. So that's just a good example of if you just take a moment to look at the people that you're serving, right, to be a great client partner, um, to make sure that you're always trying to make them look as good as possible, give them the projects, or should I say the results that they need, do your research, like just be a good partner. That's all it is. And I'll, and I'll drop one in there. There's a really incredible book. Uh, Jared Belsky was a former founder of uh, 360i. He wrote a book called The Great Client Partner. And I use that term a lot because it's a really great book and he really captures uh, what it's like to be someone on the agency side um, and the empathy that you need to understand what these folks are dealing with you are not their priority they're working in you know a web an ecosystem that is moving really incredibly fast um, and you just have to take a moment to be empathetic to what everybody's going through would you well as you were talking about you know, how you have worked and interacted with the client. I'm curious to know how, how is your agency set up? Meaning um, you don't have any sales, so you did not have to do any sales per se. You, it was mostly referral business. Was it always you? Who was- Past tense, past tense. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. In the past, it was always um, just, uh, we're like, um, one of the keys to us being a small business at the time was that, uh, and let me rewind for a second. I worked for a corporation and I managed agency relationships for a while. And many a times I sat at a, at a conference room table where there was a lot of suits with a lot of opinions that were charging a lot of dollars that have absolutely nothing to do with the work, right? Then they go away and they send you some junior talent that they picked up um, to do this work and the work is not what you expected, right? So I sell you the dream with my A-team and then I throw in my, my freshly hired juniors and it becomes very challenging. Um, during the time that I was managing those relationships, I learned a very valuable lesson. Um, and it was that if you don't have something to contribute, you do not come to the table, right? Um, so fortunately for us to answer your question, Varun, is that when we were smaller, we would walk in and say, the people that you are meeting right now in this room are the people that are doing the work. So nothing that walks away from here is going to get, you know, lost in translation when we walk away and transfer it to someone else. No, we're going to be in the trenches with you. Um, and that worked to our advantage because um, even today um, I have clients that text me. I had one of my clients from Honeywell send me a text message the other day and said, hey, just got back. We're going to do this work. And I'm sorry, you know, um, um, I just got back from some travel, but let's go ahead and connect tomorrow. I'm like, absolutely, let's connect, right? So you're no, no matter where you are, in the chain, you always have to make yourself available to just be present. Um, and I think that that in itself is what sells because you're just being a good partner. That's all it really is. That's the secret. Yeah. yeah. We've, you've said a lot of things in there that I want to kind of circle back to, but the one, it's interesting, the example of texting, you know, with clients and we have a mm -hmm. lot of it, this season, we've spent a lot of time chatting with different kinds of agencies and everybody does things a little bit differently. And in terms of boundaries with clients is something mm -hmm. that some of us, you know, like figuring out how to make that work. How mm -hmm. have you found, I mean, it sounds like 
like I have clients, you know, on and off over the years that yeah. will text me because they understand, you know, I'll blatantly say, if you text me for work, I will probably not remember to respond. Please send me an email. You know, you train the client because that way I can put it on my checklist and go through my process and make sure it doesn't get lost. But stuff crops yeah. up and you want like a text of, hey, are you around tomorrow? Can we have a quick chat and things like yeah. that? How do you manage those boundaries yourself? Or is it on a client by client basis? Or, and how do you, the second part of that question is how do you help your team figure out how to do that too? Yeah, so, so I, I can only speak to myself. Um, and of course, use case of one, I don't have boundaries when it comes to that stuff. I mean, uh, I should I say I don't put up boundaries. I do have boundaries. Okay. I will not. I will not text my client at six o'clock on a Saturday. I will not do that. But if they text me, I will respond. Um, not because I feel like a slave to the system, mm -hmm. but because this is what I love to do. Right at the end of the day, work and in my regular life are to some extent one. Right, it's like being a sommelier and walking away from the wine shop or the restaurant that you're running and then you go home you don't stop talking about wine mm -hmm. you know what i mean and that's my life like even the people that i surround myself with i have a group of buddies um that we connect on a regular basis they're like hey let's go grab a, a beer and we sit down and we don't talk about sports we talk about what's going on in the world of technology because they all work different companies buddy of mine was working at coursera the other guy was working at google you know, like i have all these like the, this this mass experience sitting around me, I'm not going to waste my time talking about something that is not relevant to my world. So for that reason, I don't put up boundaries. And if a client does want to call me or text me or email me, I'm all right. Because that's another one of those things where it's almost like you have to learn everybody's love language. Mm -hmm. Right? It's like, a, we all communicate differently. Um, you know, I have team members that communicate completely different than others, right? You just have to figure out what that form of communication is. Right. So I feel the same way when it comes to, you know, digital communications with some clients. Some people just are extremely busy and texting is the way that they could just get a thought out right now. I'm not going to say, hey, look, I prefer if you didn't text me. You know what I'm saying? Like, it just has to be yeah, one yeah, of those totally. things. Where it has to yeah. be like a like a mutual uh, agreement, even or like a verbal or even non-agreement that this is just how we're going to communicate. That's OK. I love the description of like, this is the, this is how the love language description, I've seen that crop up in, you know, in lots of aspects of life in terms of how people communicate, you know, opposite of me, like if someone texts me some work and my client knows it, she's like, Hey, I had a thought, let me send you a quick note. I'm also going to email you is usually what happens. Sure. She knows if she texts me, I'm going to forget about 20 minutes later, but yeah. it's, it's, and it's, I, I like the, the, I quite like that description, like, you know, leaning into how you, the love language of, of how your agency works. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's, can I, can I tell you a quick little story? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'll tell you a quick little story, right? So, I mean, first of all, like being in this business, as you all know, when you're dealing with uh, creative um, technology, customer journeys, understanding consumer behaviors, you're practically a serial psychologist anyway right? <laughs> like you're having to understand how mm -hmm. different people behave in different environments, whether that's a, you know, psychographic, demographic, whatever that may be that you're studying um, for the communications that you're going to put out on the digital product, right? So I look at it all in the same, but very, very, very early on, and I, I promise I'll make it quick. Um, we were hired with a company, by a company to create a prototype to evolve their e-commerce experience. Um, on tablet because their audience was a little bit older and the tablet market was exploding. Mind you, this is like 2012, right? 2013. So we created what we considered to be best in class prototype. It was gorgeous, worked beautiful on tablet, like 
color hierarchy was incredible. Everything, we're so proud of ourselves. And we tested it with the audience and it failed miserably. It completely failed. We fell flat on our face. And the audience was uh, a growing baby boomer audience that was purchasing shoes online. And while we created something that we felt was best in class for technology in general and the way that, um, that basically everything was evolving for that specific audience, we weren't speaking their language. They were scared to put their credit card in on a website. They wanted to make sure that they had all these assurances before they actually click submit. And we learned such a valuable lesson, um, you know, because we all say, I don't like to make assumptions about the way anybody thinks. But at that very moment in time, very early in time, we made a poor assumption and we fell flat on our face. Um, and because of that, going back to what you were asking, communicating with different people on different levels and understanding how their, their, their choice of communication is extremely important on every level, of, whether you're talking to an executive or you're talking to a user, it's extremely important. One quick thing I'll share on communication and expectations on, on the language or flow language that you talked about. One thing we did recently um, in our organization was we created we, all the leadership uh, members. We asked everybody, all the executives, we asked to create uh, a profile. Uh, it's not a profile, it's called basically a document that explain, that in which you talk about how do you, how do you work? How mm -hmm. do you expect? your other team members to communicate with you. Mm -hmm. if, do you want to do the Skype? Do you want to do Slack? Are you more um, comfortable managing an email? Just setting the expectations in the document for everybody in the team to know and be aware of so that whenever a new person joins or everybody, mm -hmm. whenever you are trying to connect with the other person in the team, you know this is the style of working of that person. And yeah. we you know, respond accordingly. Uh, so that yeah. is super important to know and be aware of how, you know, what's the love language of that other person. Yeah, agree, agree. It's extremely important. And also making like, even internally, right, as we're communicating with our own team members or clients, because we use Slack all the time for everything. But, you know, internal comms, what belongs in Slack? What belongs in email? What belongs in a shared document? Like that's extremely important as well. Because the last thing you want to hear is someone say, oh, I missed that message. I'm like, you missed the message. This is where we communicate this something, this very specific type of comms, right? So you should have the expectation to be aware that anything that is project related that we're gonna present to a client, this is where all the communication is happening. And I know I have to be aware of that. So just to your point, Varun, um, on the other side of it is also making sure that you're setting your people up for success yeah. by making sure that they understand how you're communicating as an organization. Yeah. What's that um, internal culture of mm -hmm. like, that should be, whether it's an agency or not, you know, client side, it's the internal culture of like, where do you find the stuff that you need to be able to do the things that you're hired to do? Mm -hmm. um, my fourth grade teacher is probably rolling in her grave as I say stuff and things in the same sentence, but it's, it's this, it's like Slack versus, but even what are conversations that you should have in person? That's the okay. other one that people forget too. Sometimes you don't yeah. need to put it in writing until you've had the conversation and then you do it, whether it's with a client or with your internal team. Sometimes yeah. a phone call with a client that's just like, hey, your tone was funny. Can we just connect and make sure we're all working? Like, yeah. or are you guys really happy? Or are you like, I know you well enough that says you're BSing me right now. So yeah. Yeah. And I would like you... to. I'm sorry, go ahead, Brian. Sorry, I was just going to pivot yeah. to a new topic about mm -hmm. learn more about your 
agency and mm-hmm. um, how you are set up, how mm-hmm. you do the business in general, starting with, you know, how you position yourself, how do you intake, how do you take the new customers in? Like, you know, you know, like you had, the, like now you have a new process from the past, like you were mm-hmm. doing earlier high tech earlier, but now it's, I'm assuming you are, um, you know, you have moved on from that and are mm-hmm. doing, you have set up the teams and processes. So we'll talk about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think that, you know, in any conversation and most recently, we just landed a, a pretty large project with a company um, that we're very excited to work with um, that is in IT uh, managed services space. Um, and uh, during that conversation, initially during the discovery, the first thing we wanted to make sure is that we all are speaking the same language. We want them to make feel comfortable with us to know that we understand what they're what they're going through, right? We've done this work before, um, explaining our process and how we're going to work together. Again, going back to setting expectations, because I think that's really important. So um, what we'll tell our client and then what we'll end up doing is one-to-one, like there's no surprises, you know? Um, even during the process, we don't go away, you know, for a few weeks and then show you something, some big ta-da moment, um, so the big reveal and the client says, that's not what I was expecting, you know? So when we were working with clients, we are working as an extension of their team. We're not a vendor. And we make sure that we set ourselves up like that. We're working with you hand in hand. We've had many clients tell us that we really felt like you guys were just part of the company. Like a couple of times or something, like, you know, I, I was trying to figure out why your email was in when I was going to invite you to the picnic. And then I realized that you actually don't work here. You know what I mean? So it's like one of those situations, which is really lovely to hear, right? And what a compliment. It's what a compliment, right? But I think that um, for us, what we really try to do is first and foremost is understand the problem space and really spend some time there. Um, Because oftentimes people will come to you and say, and I got many examples of this um, that didn't necessarily work out to our favor, but somebody will say, I have this problem. I'm not getting conversion. I need a new website. And that's going to fix all our problems. Can you help us? And we say, okay, well, you need to give us some time to dig under the hood and see what's really going on. Let's look at your traffic. Let's look at your customer. Let's like really take a moment to do that big discovery, right? That research and discovery. Um, and then the outcome of that oftentimes is not exactly what the client or the business thought that the problem was. Probably right? 90% so, of the time, not what yeah, they it's, thought and, it was. And, you know, <laughs> luckily we have some very sophisticated clients, so it's, it's less now than it was in the past. But I, but I think that it's one of those situations where, you know, um, we're in a position now where folks are coming to us. Um, I have a, a client that's now on, um, we're on our second engagement with them and he was with a company before. Now he's with another company and he called us up and specifically said, let me tell you all my problems. Let me tell you what I need, um, you know, to do. These are my goals. These are my KPIs. What should I be doing differently? Like, that's what I want to hear, mm-hmm. right? Because that client is not only is he extremely intelligent, but he's very, very aware that he doesn't have all the answers. So he wants somebody to come from with an outside view, even that's not looking at what he's looking at every day, to understand what some of the uh, the gaps may be in their process or the experience, or maybe it's an experience that does not exist, but we have to take a moment to really explore that, to do that discovery. Otherwise, you know, the, the lipstick, lipstick on a pig scenario, right? You could redesign the website, you know, tenfold, and it's not going to do anything because you still have the content strategy problem, or you may not be speaking to the right audience, or 
you know, there's five clicks when it should be one. Like there's a lot of things that we have to understand as we're going deep into that discovery. And I'm very fortunate that I have an incredible team that does exactly that, you know, content strategy research, like digital strategy. They just know how to dig um, to find those things. So that's really how we work. Like we start with that piece um, and then we, we inject ourselves into the company and we're working, we over-communicate. I'll hit my client up on Slack. Yesterday, I was like, hey, what's up? Hey, can I ask you a quick question? They're like, yeah, I'm here. Da, da, da. We have, you know, have a quick conversation. Done. Not a, hey, can I schedule 15 minutes on your calendar? Tell me when you're available. Why? Yeah. You know, go, Jesse, going back to the text thing, you know? Yeah. You know? The over-communication statement, and, and I know we keep, this is, seems to be the theme of today's chat is around communication, but people assume you know, training lots of people in my career in terms of how to manage across down and up, you know, which mm -hmm. is another, that's a whole nother episode, but it's not over communication. It's communicating over communication, sure. which you said I had for breakfast. I had three pieces of toast. <laughs> I had bacon, you know, like that. Nobody yeah. needs to know. Nobody needs to yeah. know that you like put your kid to bed 15 minutes late last night. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But if I have a call, you know, with a client, for example, and say mm -hmm. the client, here's the client call, here's what we covered, here are the next steps, mm -hmm. CCing you just so you're aware of what we talked about, no action needed is usually how I end yeah, when you're communicating out and up. Absolutely. Um, because people want to know because they're going to get asked, you know, your yeah. internal clients are going to get asked by how did that conversation with the vendor go? How did the conversation with the partner go? And they, if they're caught not knowing what to say, mm -hmm. that's a problem. And um no, you're you're absolutely correct, yeah. and I and I think when I say over communicate, um, it we're again fortunate to be able to have all these incredible tools that allow us to like yeah. do real time communications. But there was a time where you have call it a weekly or a bi weekly meeting with the client, and that's the time that they were dedicating to you. They give you that hour, hour and a half, and that's when you have to deliver all the news, good and bad. Right? Mm -hmm. We're fortunate that now we don't have to do that. So. Um, Vivian that yeah. runs uh, PMO client services, the, she is the eagle eye of the group. She could see something falling apart 17 weeks in advance. She just has the ability to do that. So if she sees something, um, she'll say, okay, hey guys, it looks like there's going to be a delay for this phase. And that's where we're about to start getting into development. So I want to go ahead and raise the flag with the client now, even though it's not going to affect right now, but we want to let them know, hey, this could potentially be a delay for a week, either we can A, make up the difference on this phase or B, accept the delay, which way should we go? And then now you're having a negotiation, a partnership where you can figure out, you know, which is the lesser of the two evils and let's figure out how to work through this together. So I think that that's extremely important, but that's where I mean like that over communication or just communication, like you say, um, a lot of folks don't do it well. No, this they don't. It's cool. Well, <laughs> let, me, let me understand, love, love your, Love to hear your thoughts on how do you qualify? How do you qualify a good client? Do you do like, I don't know, I mean, there could be multiple ways. There is an inbound lead or a referral mm -hmm. or your outreaches, but once you have a meeting, what is the communication look like? I mean, mm -hmm. I'm assuming you, there must be some qualifications, questions around budget yes. and, you know, type of work they want, but also a lot of agencies do you know, a discovery, like they, they want to do and every project, every engagement with an agency starts with a discovery, I assume. Yeah. So how does your discovery look like? Do you like, you just talk, you know, talk through yeah. that. 
Yeah. So before I hop on a phone with anybody, I've already, I already know, you know, if they have dogs and kids, right. And I don't mean that to be creepy, but you know, there's information out there about that person. You look at their LinkedIn, how long they've been at, at the job. You look at the company, how long have they been around? You know, how, are they cycling through a lot of CMOs? Are they going like, you just have to understand who that client is before you even talk to them. Um, it's only to be fair to them. You don't want to waste their time. You know, just understand what they're going through. Um, you know, have they've had layoffs recently? Like, what are they trying to solve? So you could come in with an idea um, before. So you're not just coming in, walking into a room, meeting somebody, shaking their hand for the first time, right? Okay. That's extremely important. Um, also, the type of work um, is extremely important to us. Um, if someone comes to us and says, like I mentioned before, like, hey, I just need this, uh, this redesign, you know, here's a couple hundred grand, go do this redesign for me. Um, and uh, that's it. And we say, well, we need to do discovery. We need a scope for this. And they're like, no, no, no. My budget's 200 grand, you know, I'm just pulling a budget out of the air, right? I need you to go do this and do that only. Then immediately I say, well, wait a second, I can't do that, right? Um, because when it falls apart, the one to blame is me. And I'm not doing my job if I'm not, you know, thinking about the implications of what could happen if we don't do the job right, right? So there's, there's, there's fast and there's correct, right? Yeah. And, and, and in those cases, you know, we buy out, bow out gracefully. If we know that there's a partner that can do that for them, we'll refer them. We never just walk away, say, sorry, we can't do it. And it's always like, hey, we're probably not a good fit. I do, know, I do know someone who can help you. So let me do that introduction, facilitate that conversation and, and go from there. But let me thought, ask you. Yeah. Let me yeah. ask you on that because have you always thought like that? Were you always like that? No. Because no. I remember my journey, like in the, in the like ten years, fifteen years ago, when we were yeah. growing and starting. Like I would just take in any job, any work that would come in. You know, we would Dude. do yes to everything, and yeah, then we I, learned yeah, over too. time. Right, we are not doing justice to ourselves, to the client, and it is, you know, conceptually wrong. It's it sometimes felt like ethically wrong because we are basically doing you know something wrong for the client mm -hmm. at the end go end result is not being productive and we, we're not getting the result we want so it Absolutely took correct. us a lot of time so in your case you know i'll let you, you know share your story yeah. but on, on that also try to help us understand how have you transitioned to a positioning that you have now are you like do you position yourself as a specialist for that reason or as a generalist mm -hmm. in both cases how do you navigate that journey yeah yeah so to answer your first question yes when we first started we would take anything because of course you need to pay yourself and pay the bills right um i left my corporate my cushy corporate gig and took a significant pay cut along with my business partner um and we said we're just going to make this work right and of course we left our our significant other is pretty upset about that um but um but you know one of the things is is just like really thinking through um how you have to evolve right the more people that you have the more mouths you have to feed and uh obviously not being a massive agency uh by design um you have you have specialists in very specific areas but as an agency you're a generalist right so if i take on a project that is a seven-month engagement right and i have a swat team of some of my best people on there i know that i cannot take three more like that i can't I don't have the people, right? Now, mind you, I can grow the team to start taking that kind of work, which I which I will if uh, if we have the ability to, but I don't believe in fake it till you make it. 
like not on the level of like, oh yeah, we could do anything. And then you sign a deal and then you're scrambling, trying to find people, potentially people you've never worked with. Um, like, and then you're, you know, again, like just wearing pie on the face because someone who trusted you called you and you lied to them. And now you're trying to stitch things together. That's just, I mean, we're in Atlanta. And if you know anything about Atlanta, very similar to Austin, very similar to a couple of these cities that are now just like growing at a dramatic rate, it's still a small town. I don't care how big and how pretty and how tall the skyscrapers are. This is a small town. We everybody knows Boston. everybody. Mm-hmm. Boston is too, right? So I think it's like one of those things that you really have to worry constantly about your reputation. Um, you always want to make sure that people remember you as a positive partner. You never want to be the one that somebody says, oh, Jesus, working with those guys, what a nightmare. Because that one thing is like having the finest steakhouse get a review, somebody saying that it was the most disgusting meal they ever had, right? That may deter a very, very large percentage of their customers. And we just can't, like no agency can afford that, right? You come back from that though. Because I feel like we've all done it. You know, we've all said yes to something at some point in this career path that, and maybe this is a question for both of you, because I know I've done it when I started my own agency a few years mm-hmm. ago. I said, sure, I'll do that. I'll figure it out. Sure. You know, now I'll be like, if a client says, hey, can you do this? I say, I don't know how to do it. Give me a hot second to see if it's something I can figure out how to do. Let mm-hmm. me be transparent with you about approaching yeah. it. I mean, that's, you know, and sometimes yeah. you fall on your sword and say, yeah, I have no idea. Let me find somebody else. But you said something very key. Jesse, yeah. you said transparency, right? Transparency yes. gives trust. But when you're younger, you don't always know and appreciate that. Like how have how have you both, you know, Varun, I can see, I can see it in the tip of his tongue right there. <laughs> you know, how have you navigated that in the past? And then how have you our same question? Like yeah. when you said yes and you screwed it up, how do you make sure that you don't get that bad Google review that haunts you forever? Well, so I I mean that. I was thinking when when Javier said about you know your reputation in the local city and town. I wonder how. I mean, if I think about it, I I you know we've been in Boston for so long, but mm-hmm. I don't think we have like more than five clients from Boston. I mean, we don't right. we don't True. get customers because we are in Boston, right? It, we are living in a global, global economy, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't care if personally for us, I don't. Think it's a reason that we need to maintain our reputation for the Boston customers because we mm-hmm. hardly have any. We never had. I mean, we have few. But um, so from that perspective, I, reputation is important. Reviews are yeah. important, no doubt. You know, but it is basically for everybody wherever we go. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I, I was. I wanted to respond. Like, okay. how, how? What percentage of your customers are only in Atlanta, and how yeah. do you? approach that do you try to market only in Atlanta I mean I assume no because you know you have probably want from anywhere yeah 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 so so I have so I have an argument uh to to that right I think that you know we've been working remote for quite some time matter of fact we've been working flex probably since 2012 right um for probably the first five years of our business or maybe not the first five maybe like uh like two years into us existing, um, we started getting a lot of West Coast presence and we were very, very heavily involved in the West Coast. And I will say that up to like maybe four years ago, 70% of our client base was in the West Coast, right? However, these people are also distributed. Um, the contact that I mentioned to you that is a Salesforce that is a friend today, 
they were in Atlanta, right? They were remote working in Atlanta. Salesforce is acquiring companies from all over the world, right? And this just happened to be one of those companies that we started working with. Um, also from a recruiting standpoint, right? I want to get the best talent. And if I want to recruit somebody locally and you have a reputation of being a shit show, nobody wants to come work for you. So I think that I think that's important on a local level for many reasons, um, because in today's climate environment, word spreads fast, right? And not only because of that, but because you should care. You know what I mean? That's like one of those things. Like I want to be known for someone who's doing, you know, uh, our our company does the best work. Our people are the best talent. Our people are the most, you know, excellent partners. I want that, right? Like I strive for that. So it's uh, one of those things that. It's important because it should be important, not only because it could potentially make you fall flat on your face. I want to go back to something we talked about. I think you teased it very early on that this is your third go round. Yes. With agencies. Uh, Give us the short, like what, what didn't, what, why three? I'll let you answer however you choose, you know. (laughs) <laughs> what what was so sticky about this one? You know, maybe there's some golden nuggets of like things. Maybe that the learnings and work. mistakes yeah. that you had with the yeah. first two, and now you fix them with the third one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think I think the the real um, reason is awareness, right? You have to accept at some point in your career what you're really good at and what you suck at. You just have to accept that, right? Um, my first, my first try, um, I was doing a lot by myself. It was me, uh, five or six other people. I had a lot of freelancers. It was barely an agency. It was really wasn't, I mean, we were, you know, taking on web projects. We were still in that time doing a lot of print work, uh, a lot of branding logo work and stuff like that. But I found myself in a situation where I was doing so much that I was straight up like unicycle spinning plates on my nose while juggling, you know, with a court jester hat. And it was a lot, like it really was so much stress that I ended up in the hospital. I thought I was having a heart attack. It was actually like, I, I, without exaggeration, I called one of my buddies. I was like, dude, I'm having a hard time breathing. Um, got chest pain. I think I'm going to die. Within like two minutes, he was at my house, took me to the hospital. Um, they put me on the EKG and they told me you had an anxiety attack. You had a panic attack. Um, whatever you're doing is so stressful that it is literally killing you. You need to figure it out. Um, and like, I got home from that and I looked at my, at time, at the time, my seven-year-old daughter and I had an office space moment. Like I was like, forget about it. I'm not doing this anymore. Matter of fact, I had just landed a piece of business and I called them up. I was like, look, I'm really sorry. I can't do it. I'll find you somebody to do the work. They're like, no, no, we want you to do it. I was like, I cannot do it. You know, well, just like a lot of unreliable freelancers, like some had a a really great developer and he got a full time job. So he abandoned me in the middle of a project, like just like those types of things that you don't anticipate. Yeah. Um, At the time, I don't remember who recommended this book. And I hate that I don't remember because it was probably a life altering moment for me. Uh, Somebody recommended the book, uh, The E-Myth, right? The Entrepreneurial Myth. And it's a very short read. They've revised it, God, like five times. And I, I bought it, I read it. And while I was flipping through the page, I was like, yep, made that mistake. Yep, I did that too. Yep, look at all these dumb things that I've done that if I would have had this little tiny book, I would have like skipped those mistakes, right? So lesson one is learn from other people's mistakes so you don't make them yourself, right? After that, I became obsessive with reading, 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 right? How do I grow business? How do I you know, retain talent? Like all those things. 
Um, the second one was basically I started while I was working for another company. People just started throwing me work and I grouped with some of my friends. I said, we're going to do this. Landed a couple of decent jobs. And then I was working two jobs and I was like, time out. I remember what this is like. I remember failing miserably and I'm not prepared for this. I'm not ready. So I have to really start thinking about what it is, again, that I'm good at, what I suck at, um, and figure out who can do the things that I absolutely am terrible at. Um, the third time was exactly that. I found somebody who was really good at the things I'm absolutely horrible at. That's really it. That's like the secret, right? So my business partner, David, um, fantastic guy. He knows finance. He knows, you know, he got his MBA. He understands business. Um, he really understood how to lay the foundation for something that we could grow, right? I knew how to go out there, sell, do cool work and, and talk to people. And I was out there and he's like growing it from the bottom up. I'm growing it from the top down and finding someone or multiple people that can really balance you out when it comes to these, to business in general, right? Um, going back to the whole uh, myth that if you build it, they will come, right? Um, you have to build a foundation that, um, that is stable enough for growth. And, uh, and that was what I was missing the whole time. So that's why the third one stuck, because I was able to get someone that balanced me out. Nice. But you're like a you... big proponent of the partner. I mean, the partner yeah. basically completed me, like a compliment totally. Absolutely. And I, and you know, and it's also one of those things where, um, where I have um, people on my team that I lean on a lot because they do work that is exceptional that I know that I'm not capable of doing. And that's okay. Right. So I think that I never want to be the smartest guy in the room. I never want to be the, because if I'm the smartest guy in the room, I have nothing to talk about. Right. And I'm not a person just to like talk about myself. So it's like one of those things where you want to surround yourself with people that are um, career students. They're constantly evolving. They're looking at things differently. Um, I love hearing great ideas from junior talent because they're, they're not jaded, you know, it's almost like a, like if you go uh, to an eighth grade class or a kindergarten class, you're probably going to get more creative ideas from the kindergartners than you're going to get from the eighth graders, right? Because they're, they're still dreaming. They don't have those barriers or those invisible, like uh, the rules of engagement. So, so yeah, so like just constantly be uh, um, open to listening and learning from others. And I think that's the most important thing in, in growing uh, any business, really. Um, so I have a, a hypothetical situation a question for you okay. if you were to go back in time mm -hmm. and you're like 20 or 25 years ago what what advice would you give to yourself at that age oh man um i love this question yeah i mean you well, start I, asking it more <laughs> yeah yeah so i mean i started in this business really early right because i started as a uh, illustrator um, and I dabbled in photography, um, and then I did graphic design and, you know, eventually made my way into technology and, and I, I wanted to do everything. I wanted to do everything. I wanted to like, uh, be a designer, an art director, uh, a developer, um, like I wanted to do it all. Right. And I think that what I would have told myself was very similar to what I said earlier. It's like focus on the things that, you know, you're passionate about and that you can excel at. Um, for three and a half years, I worked um, in on the data over cable side, All right? It's a really weird transition. My first technology gig, I was uh, running a help desk here in Atlanta. This is one of the reasons I moved to Atlanta. A good friend of mine uh, uh, got me a, a job here. 
And uh, we were basically just uh, doing network operations, understanding communications. And I was obsessed with that because I wanted to understand why all these big, beautiful designs that we were doing were taking eight years to load on a, on a website, right? Like, why isn't the communication there? Like, what is with the style of shit? Why doesn't it work? Like, really understanding that. And I became a little obsessed with it. And for three, three and a half years, I worked in that space, data cable. Um, we were doing proof of concepts for voice over IP. Um, if you could remember when uh, we actually had broadband down, which was like unregulated. So you had like as fast as the pipe would give you. And then upstream was uh, dial up, right? Now I'm like, I'm like, I'm getting more gray as I'm talking, by the way. Like, you know, it's like my hair has fallen out. But it was just one of those things where I became obsessed with it. But that's not something I, I did well. Matter of fact, I was fortunate that people actually let me stick around because I tried my hardest and I did good, but I didn't, I didn't excel at it. So I eventually went back to creative and started working my way back. So my advice to my younger self would be like, look at the things, learn, always learn, but focus on the things that you're passionate about, because those are the things that you're going to excel at because you just can't stop thinking about it. You're just like obsessed with them. And, uh, and yeah, that would have, I don't think it would have changed my career path, to be honest, I was still going to learn and dabble, but it would have definitely changed probably the five years prior to us starting this agency. It would have been a different focus. This is, I feel like there's so many ways we can take this conversation. This has been a, <laughs> in a great chat. So I'm going to, I'm going to put a bow on it. Cause I think that was a, that was a great answer. Um, one last question. What's exciting right. you about the future? What are you looking forward to? Oof, wow. Um, everything. I'm a sci-fi nerd. Right. So, uh, okay. so that should tell you everything right there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that um, I love technology and I love the space we're in where creative and technology collide because there's no room for complacency. You have to continuously have your foot uh, on the gas or give, give it an analogy, right? Your finger on the pulse, whatever. You have to really pay attention. So, right now, what's happening in the world of augmented reality and how it's really becoming something that's going to be uh, our day in, in our day to day lives rather than something for entertainment is exciting to me and how that really becomes something um, that is just a part of everything. Um, automation, hyper automation, um, artificial intelligence is very exciting. Uh, my friend Emily just recently called it the enemy because she's a creative. Um, and as creatives, we have to think about, um, you know, how that affects us, right? Because people will unfortunately lose their jobs. So how do we look at these things and, and use them as tools? Mm -hmm. Regardless, you know, we have to obviously, you know, be responsible with these new technologies. But what excites me is um, how far we've gotten and how far we will go, continue to go. So, uh, yeah, if you remember um, early 2000s, like we just like went skyrocket. Like we went from, you know, AOL in the, in the 90s to like mm -hmm. broadband and everything just like blue right mm -hmm. um and i feel like it went through a little lull for a little while little waves up and down and right now we're in another one of those those really hard spikes with everything that's happening and that's always going to be exciting to me well thank you so much for the time today javier this has been a, a great conversation lots of lots of little golden nuggets in this one so <laughs> appreciate it appreciate you guys. well thank you so where people can find you on the linkedin and then you have mm -hmm. launched uh, launchxd.com is your website. That's right. Launchxd.com. Launchxd.com. Yep. So, and that's it, everyone. If you learned something today or laughed, please tell somebody about the podcast. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks, y'all. Thanks for listening. Find our other episodes on agencies that build.com. Plus, we're listed anywhere you find your favorite podcast.